Matt Saxinger. I want to thank you again for joining in on what is week 582 of quarantine. Or maybe not. Maybe it just feels like that. But I will say that this week I reached out to a bunch of people and I was amazed at how many of you had said that you continue to dress up for church like you'd be coming out on a Sunday morning, which I think is incredible. Um, I think that's a, a lot of fun and I'm glad that you're doing it. Um, Doug Hanford, if you're not wearing a suit right now, I'm going to be really disappointed in you. Uh, but really, I was thinking, and if you're watching and you're not normally an attender here at Susquehanna Valley, uh, just a couple of things for you. First of all, we'd love to have you come out and join us for one of our services. You know, my theory is that Jesus has plenty of room for people in heaven, so we want to be a church that's got plenty of room for people too. So we'd love to have you join us, love to have you feel like you can be a part of what God's doing here. We think it's going to be awesome. And I uh, also want to let you know that realistically, you do not have to dress anything more than casual. Uh, we think it's more, far, far more about what's in the heart than what's, what you're wearing for clothing. So yeah, uh, we'd love to have you come join us. If you have any questions, just shoot us a message on Facebook or reach out to us from the website on the church church website, um, and we'd love to be able to connect with you. I want to tell you a story. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine and I were, were hunting in uh, Allegheny National Forest. We were hunting for coyotes. It was about March, and it was, it was frozen, and um, there was a lot of snow on the ground, and so we drove, uh, we drove back in on this dirt road, and the plan was to hike down into a valley to hunt this frozen swamp, and, uh, and we had this great idea that, that really fell to pieces. And the worst part of it was when we returned from the hunt, we found that where we had parked the car, um, the, the sun had melted it and it, it slid off down into a ditch. And so we were stuck uh, miles from anything with, uh, with a car down in the ditch. And it was just a couple hours away from freezing again. And so we did uh, what we thought we had to do. We walked out. We hiked out to the nearest cabin. And as we were walking out, we were amazed to see there, was, uh, there were two couples at the cabin and they were just sitting on the porch, not really doing anything. We thought, this is perfect. We can ask them for help and, uh, and they'll, they'll pull our car out and, and it's just going to be you know, the biggest answer to prayer. And so we go up to them and they're just shocked to see anybody else on the mountain. And uh, we explain the situation and I'll never forget how begrudgingly they decided to help us. I mean, like they were willing and they came out and they pulled our car out, but it was like every single little thing that, that they had to do was the biggest deal. And they were just hating everything. They hated every moment of it. You know, they helped us, but they hated it. And I was thinking about that. We're going to talk about service this week um, and, and serving others and doing things to, to help them out um, and just showing them that we love them, we care about them. And I don't want us to do it and hate it. I think Jesus tells us to serve. I think he models service. And I think the big thing is when we serve the way that God wants us to with the right heart and the right attitude, we don't serve and hate it. We serve and love it. So we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, we're going to look at a passage in John chapter 13. It's really one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture. It's a story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet at the Last Supper. Um, and it's a story that, that is really quite incredible. We often miss out on a lot of the power because we, we tend to read Scripture sort of like with an American mentality that we don't really understand we're bringing to the table. But what I mean by that is it's different from the way that I think the early church read Scripture. See, we read Scripture, and with the, uh, the very American approach, we break down every single verse, and we break down every little word and all the nuances, and we get focused on this analytical approach to understanding it. And I think the early church comes at it with a perspective which is far more big picture. 
understand the flow of the logic, understand how all the verses meet and match together and build this story to, to help us understand and visualize the overall point of what God's trying to bring home. Um, and in fact, if you ever check out the Bible Project, they do overviews of different books of the Bible. I love the way the Bible Project does it because it tells kind of the overall story and, and it g- helps us to understand an individual passage within, within, its, within its bigger context. Um, and I was thinking about that because I think that's really important for understanding John 13. If you just look at Jesus washing the feet of the followers at the Last Supper, you really miss out on the bigger context in the book of John. And so the book of John, um, there's, there's really two kind of big things in the overall flow that John's trying to do. One is um, it, he's, he's talking about seven signs that Jesus does that prove he's not just a man. He's not just a man. He's the Messiah. He, he's here to save mankind. He's going to die for them. And those seven signs prove it. The other thing that, that John is doing is he's going to, in the beginning of John chapter 1 and verse 11 and 12, we'll read it in just a second, he's going to lay out a bit, of a bit of an idea of how this is going to work. So let me read it for you. John chapter 1 and verse 11 it says, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. What you'll see in the book of John, then, is John 1 through 4 is really kind of unfolding who Jesus is. And then 5 through 12 is really supporting that statement that John just made here, where Jesus comes to his own people, the, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, and they don't receive him. They reject him. And so then you get 13 through 17, the end of the book, is really this verse, verse right after it where it says in verse 12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So you got John 1 through 4, this is who Jesus is. John 5 through 12, his own people rejected him. John 13 to 17, but Jesus was loved and believed in by people who were not even his own. People that uh, came to become his children through faith. And you get to chapter 13, and this is why I think that overall argument is so very important because what we see in Jesus and the way that he serves is showcasing two things. It's showcasing the, the privilege that we have through becoming the children of God. And it's showcasing the purposes we have in the kingdom of God. That we're not just saved and, and loved to be loved and saved, but we're actually to carry out a mission that God has for us. Um, A.W. Pink talks about it this way. Uh, he's a great theologian. He says, in 13 to 17, we find the Savior in most intimate fellowship with his disciples revealing to them the wondrous place which they had in his love and how that love would be continually exercised on, beha- on their behalf now that he was about to leave them to go to the Father. In other words, he's saying what we see in John 13 to 17 is this just sort of flowing thought of this is who Jesus is and how much he loves those who are his followers and that doesn't end when Jesus goes to the grave. In fact, he's resurrected. He goes back to heaven. And the same Jesus that we saw specifically and emphatically in, verse, in chapters 13 to 17 is really the same Jesus that you and I follow in life. And so as, as he becomes this model of what it looks like for us to have a purpose in life, we're also seeing how he has a heart for us to be privileged in life. So John chapter 13 it's the Thursday night before the crucifixion and the Passover meal, meal and, and Jesus is going to uh, do something dramatically important that's going to set a signal for his followers from there on out. So, so check it out with me. John chapter 13 and verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. 
It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his feet, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. Let's pray. God, I just pray this morning that while our hearts crave a love, um, and clay, crave uh, just a, a recognition from other people. And, and really, at the end of the day, we want people to serve us. I pray that we would look and see how much you love us and how deeply your affection towards us can satisfy us. So God, we can have an attitude that helps us see how we can serve others more than we, how we can be served. I pray you teach us this morning in your son's name. Amen. So the foot washing I mentioned has been this incredible text. That, um, that is really connected with people. This idea that, that God himself would show up and would wash a human being's feet is really quite incredible. Um, it it's really has three main points, and, and we're going to focus on two of them. The, the three main points are that Jesus is beginning to show exactly how much he loves them when he, when he says that he loved them to the end. And then the second point is where, where in the text as it continues, it, it talks about how that the washing of the feet is representative of this sort of spiritual cleansing, that as Jesus cleans their feet off, it's representative of how through faith Jesus wants to cleanse us from sin. And then the third, the third lesson here is where Jesus is going to say, go do what I have done for you. It's the first and the, the third one that are going to get the bulk of our attention today. The idea that this is a, a full, full splay, displaying of Jesus' love, and then that this is something that you and I should live out. That as dirty, as disgusting, um, as uh, demeaning as this, this whole thing seems to consider washing somebody else's feet, that we would serve other people with, with that sort of mentality. Um, and I think it's incredibly powerful uh, for us to be challenged with, to say that we're going to be wildly safe in serving others. And we've been in the series for a couple of weeks now, wildly safe is this kind of oxymoron idea of how can you be wild and how can you be safe at the same time? Well, the idea is that through God's love, we're so safe and cared for and loved um, that we get to live with a boldness that, that's actually pretty wild. And I think that's what we see and what we're challenged with with the foot washing of Jesus. But I want us to understand the, the fullness of the love that's described here because I think we kind of miss it if we just read through it quickly. This is really an incredible picture, and I want to do my best to paint it for you. Um, in their society, in a society where you had servants, you had sort of this hierarchy uh, in a sense where, where um, if you were a servant, you certainly didn't want to be the servant who was the lowest of the low. And it meant something entirely different for you to serve in a palace than if you were to serve in a field. If you served in a palace... You had life pretty pretty well. You, you had things taken care of. But if you served in the field, then you were far lesser of a person. And it's a big honor-shame system. And so the higher you were, the lower you were, it meant a lot for you. Um, and in their mentality, the lowest of the low, the servants were always people who had to do the dirtiest, most disgusting jobs. And so when it came to the, the one, the servant who would wash people's feet, this is the lowest of the low. 
I mean, so low that when they were looking for somebody to do this, they wouldn't even consider one, somebody from their own nation. They wouldn't even consider uh, a Jewish person for this task. It would be too menial, too beneath even the lowest Jewish person. So they would seek out uh, a Gentile, somebody they hated. They would seek out that person to satisfy this role. I mean, if you were a, a foot washer, you didn't tell people. If you were a foot washer, you honestly probably didn't even have people to tell. You were looked down upon. You were not treated well at all. And, and so you're in this room where the disciples and Jesus are, are reclining around the table. They would have been laying with their heads towards the table in a low table on a thin mat. And, and their feet would be positioned away from the table. They'd just be leaning on an elbow. And, and as the meal begins, um, they would have been wondering where the servant was because he wouldn't have been in the room. And then as Jesus stood up, they would have looked at him with some confusion. Is he going to find a servant? Is he, does he know a servant who can do this just demeaning task? And then as Jesus would have begun to put on the, the garments of that servant, they would have been sick of the thought that, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was about to do what the lowest of the low would do, what they themselves would never even dream of doing. Jesus begins to, to dress himself like a servant. I mean, th this explains why, why Peter is just so upset about the whole thing where he goes, he goes you're never going to wash my, my feet. He's indignant with his response. If you read New Testament scholars on this passage, they'll, they'll argue um, that there is no other, no other example in the Greco-Roman world where, where such a superior would ever even dream of carrying out a task like this. This was, this was like brand new history. If you go back to the beginning of John, in John 1, 27, John the Baptist, who is the forerunner to Jesus, he speaks of Jesus and he says, I'm not even fit to untie the straps of Jesus' sandals. And here you've got Jesus who is washing the dirt-stained feet of the followers, of, of the disciples. And it's an incredible passage in, in a world that's built on this honor and shame system the idea that the guy at the top would become the the guy at the bottom is just too shameful and and disgraceful they'd never even consider it and yet jesus looks at filthy service as an opportunity to demonstrate his love yeah typically um, that servant would have been ignored and i mentioned they were reclining away from the table and their feet if their head was on one side, their feet would be away. And you kind of have to picture them all, you know, surrounding this table and all the feet away. So, so the servant would normally just would walk around the outside with this basin of water and kneel down and wash the people's feet. And they would honestly, they would ignore the servant. They just pretend, they, they go on with their conversation just pretending like there wasn't this demeaning task happening behind them. But Jesus won't let them ignore it. Jesus takes the, the robe off and he puts the towel on and he, he washes 24 filthy dirt and cross stained feet. Who knows what they stepped in? And he thoroughly washes their feet. I mean, this wasn't Jesus going, hey, I'm just going to wash one of your feet so you get the point and then we're done. He washes the, the feet of 12 men because he wants them to see something. He wants them to see the love that he has for them, that, that, that if you take humble, thorough service, you get love. 
I read that A.W. Pink quote at the beginning because uh, there's a statement in the middle that I think is so incredibly powerful. It talks about that, that through John 13, 13 through 17, we gain this picture of exactly the place they have in Jesus' love. That, that the disciples at this moment are finding out their place in the Son of God's heart. They're finding out how much he loves them. They're finding out the privilege of what it means to be a child of God and know that there's never a day, never a moment that the Son of God doesn't love them and care about them and want, want nothing but the absolute best for them. It's not just that, that he showed up. It's not just that he got to know them. It's not just that he, he cared about them, that he washed them, that he served them. It's that he loved them. They, they had a place in his heart. And I don't think we can miss that and just gloss over how important that is, that this is the Son of God sending a message, not just to them, but to you and I, that while other people might act like, you know, we're beneath them or we're not good enough for them or or we're just not worth their time, Jesus showcasing this humility to demonstrate his love is a powerful message that you are never beneath his desire to love and serve you. And it's incredible. But it shouldn't just change the idea of how privileged we are. It should change our purpose. Because Jesus goes on in John chapter 13, he goes on to explain the lesson. In verse 12, he says, After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. You know, I memorized that scripture as a kid, and one of the things that, uh, that I memorized, and it was a phrase that isn't in the version we read, but it's the word, go and do likewise. As I've done to you, go and do likewise. That his, his love sets a pattern for us. And I, I just want to, in the rest of our time, cover what are, in my opinion, three keys for us to be able to do likewise. Like, I think we look at the service of Jesus, and we're like, that's humble, that's great. Um, I'm going to struggle to get anywhere near that. And, and I know that, but I think God's going to lead you in that. I think God's going to empower you in that. And I think God's going to change people's lives through humble service like that. I want us to be a church that isn't afraid of filthy service. I want to be a church that isn't afraid to love people who, who others say are beneath them. I want us to be a church that's willing to love likewise that's willing to do the things that God has called us to do. So three keys for this. The first one is, is really, it's not even you doing anything. It's just you realizing something that you have been and are still being served this way. That what you see of Jesus in John 13 through 17 specifically is sending a message for how he cares about us and how he serves us. If you read the beginning of Revelation, you get this idea that Jesus is very active in the church. And that's why we we say things like we expect God to do great things because he always has. We see Jesus, John 13 through 17, doing some incredible things. His heart has not changed. He's still as active and as loving in the church now as he was then. We've got to understand that. And he's, he's serving us. We've been served that way. We're being served that way. Um, Connor and I were talking about this in John 10, 10, uh, or, or really all of John 10, is, is so great at, at emphasizing the way that Jesus has a heart for his sheep, where he's, he's going, I'm the good shepherd. 
I'm going to be the gatekeeper. I'm not going to let people come in and, and be thieves and rob. I, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be the one who gathers the sheep together. They're going to know my name. I'm going to guard the sheep. I'm going to uh, you know, if a wolf tries to come in, I'm going to fight for them. Uh, I'm going to be the, the one who, uh, who keeps the sheep safe and loves them. And it doesn't end. It doesn't stop simply because Jesus isn't physically present on earth. And he wants us to know that we're safe in his love. You know, when, uh, when Corinne and I first got married, we were getting some stuff for our apartment. And, uh, and one day Corinne came up to me and she was like, we need to get some trivets. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, we need to get trivets. And I was like, look, I don't, did you mean widgets? And she's like, no, trivets. And I was like, all right, well, if you're playing a game where we just make up stuff that we need, I need a pet Bigfoot. So why don't we get a pet Bigfoot and then we can get a trivet? And she's like, no, trivets are real. And uh, come to find out she was right. Trivets are real. This is a trivet. If you already know this and you're laughing at me, well, guess what? I've got a pet Bigfoot, so you're the one who loses in the end. Uh, but no, this is a trivet, and, uh, and she uh, explained to me that a trivet serves the purpose of insulating, um, insulating a, a table from getting too hot from like a hot pan or a hot dish. And so like imagine if you got like a big old pot of soup and you're going to put it on the table for people to be able to serve themselves. If you put it right down on the table, it might burn the table. So you put a trivet down to be able to insulate the table so the table doesn't get burned from the heat above it. Look, I, I think when we look at the love of Christ, we look at John 10, we look at John 13 in this humble service, I think what we understand is, is this idea, and this is the safe of the wildly safe, that we're insulated from the difficulty and the suffering in this world. It's not that we don't experience it. It's not that it isn't painful. It's just different. We don't feel it the same way. It's not as intense because we're so intensely loved by Jesus Christ that, that it's not like it's going to burn us and it's going to destroy us and tear us down, that we can handle this differently than other people in the world because we have a love that insulates us in the middle of suffering and pain. Um, if you want a text to back that up, check out 1 Corinthians 1 where Paul is going, Jesus Christ comforts us in all of our suffering so that we can comfort others. You've been insulated by the love of Christ. You've got to get that down first, that Jesus' love insulates us from the difficulties of, of the world. It's not, that they don't, it's not that they don't exist. It's not that they don't bother us. We just feel it in an entirely different way because we're, we're letting the love of Christ absorb a lot of the difficulty that we deal with. That's the first one. You've got to know that you're loved. You've got to know that you're served. You're still being served. The second one is this, is that power was used for good, not greed. That, that John 13, John makes the point that Jesus had authority given to him from the Father. I remember uh, as a kid, one of my favorite songs was Tom Petty, It's Good to Be King. Uh, you see Jesus given authority. My mind thinks authority. My mind thinks king. In the song, Good to be King, Tom Petty sings a line. He says, it's good to be king, um, to have your own way. Uh, that, that statement, to have your own way, is tied to the idea of being king. I, I think when we, when, we, uh, when we think about authority, when we think about power, we think of the freedom to have our own way. That we can get things the way that we want things. What do you see in John 13? John goes, Jesus had all authority. It's been given to him from the Father. And Jesus puts on a towel and walks around a table and kneels down and washes filthy feet. He's got the authority. He's got the power. 
and he demonstrates humility. And I think it's incredible for us to look at the Son of God showing up to do the things that the Son of God did. You know, when John says that he loved them to the end, really the rest of the scripture uh, in the book of John is unfolding what that love to the end looks like. And so John 13, with Jesus washing the feet, shows through the way that Jesus is going to die on the cross. And so Philippians 2 is is this kind of, this statement that Paul makes where he says that Jesus didn't just put on the towel of a slave, but he took the role of a slave. Chapter 2 and verse 6 of Philippians, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Man, we'll watch movies where, where a king will do something noble. We'll, do, we'll watch television shows or Netflix series where, where the main character will do something humble and we'll be impressed with this. Look, this isn't made up. This is real. This is the narrative of what happened. This is the the telling of an account of the Son of God showing up and actually doing this. He doesn't have to, but he takes on the nature of a servant. He becomes a slave and becomes obedient to death so that you and I can can live with him forever so that you and I can go, man, we're safe. We're saved by him. We're loved. There's nothing that should be more, just more comforting and affirming to you than to know that the Son of God has loved you so incredibly that he emptied himself when he had all the power to demand things for himself. There's a word that I think uh, that often shows up whenever we struggle to be humble. So whenever you think of a moment where you think of serving people, so if you're, you're a mom and you've got to change diapers when you've just changed them, or, or you're a dad and you've got to take out the trash when you just sat down, or, um, or, or if you're an employee and you've got to do something then you don't want to do it, or you know, a coworker struggling and you have to, to take extra time, there's a word that comes up that is the enemy to humility, and it's a simple word. It's the word should. The word should is an enemy of humility. I should get paid for this. I should, I should be noticed for this. I should, uh, be, I should be appreciated. I should be the one being served. A person like me shouldn't have to do this. I shouldn't have to repeat myself. I shouldn't have to, to take the time. I shouldn't and, and should or shouldn't becomes a barometer for you to understand exactly how difficult it is for us to be humble. Because we fight these battles to, for us to have things the way that we think they should be. When it says that Jesus had all the power, that he became a slave, not just a slave who washes feet, but a slave who died, Jesus redefined what should be. There's, there's a story that happens just before this in Luke chapter 22 where, where Jesus' followers are actually, they're literally arguing about who should sit next to him when they get to heaven. Like when Jesus is ruling and he's physically ruling, they're going, I should be the one to sit next to Jesus. I should be second. And Jesus is going to change drastically what should be the case. Luke 22 and verse 24 says, Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Like I just got to stop right there because I wonder if Jesus kind of was like tongue in cheek, like, are you kidding me? 
Like I'm about to, I am the greatest, the highest that you can imagine. I deserve all the glory and I'm about to wash your feet and I'm about to die for you and you're worrying about who's going to sit next to me right now. They began to argue among themselves who would be the greatest among them. And Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. And Jesus takes the should and turns it around. And it's not how you should be served, but it's in how you should serve. It's about how he has drastically reoriented the, the honor-shame paradigm that in order to bring honor to other people, we experience shame. And if filthy service is what it takes for us to, sh- to, to change lives and be used by God to do some absolutely amazing things, then filthy service is what we're called to do. It's not about honor. Sometimes it's about shame to honor others because it's the most honoring thing we can do for Jesus Christ. When I was a when I was a kid, we'd watch uh, watch The Price Is Right as a kid a lot, um, and I remember The Price Is Right. I remember watching it and thinking, um, The Price Is Right is so rigged. It's always the same four people who end up on the show. You you got the military person, like somebody from the army, somebody from the navy. You've got person number two is somebody who's retired. Person number three is a guy who, or a woman who has no clue what they're doing at all. They shouldn't even be on the show. And person number four is somebody who's really serious about their dog or cat being spayed or neutered. And I remember watching it with my brothers and we were like, gee, it looks like, uh, yep, the person from the military got picked. So now they need to get a person from the military to replace them. Oh, a person who doesn't know what they're doing got picked. Now another person who doesn't know what they're doing. And we, we watched it and we were like, this is so rigged. One of the things I realized is that we tend to rig who gets to be served by us. We rig it. It's always the person, the person who gets our humble service, we will rig it. It's always the person we like, the person who who thinks we're special, the person who likes us, or it's the person who can benefit us. And you, you can just go down. And it's like, all right, I'm going to serve somebody. Oh, who's the person I'm going to serve? Big surprise now, it's the person who likes me. You're never going to see this coming. I'm going to humbly serve big sacrifice on my end. I'm going to humbly serve the person who can help me out. We rig it. And what Jesus models for us is is this third key to to humble services. It's that the next contestant, the next person we serve, the next contestant is whoever God leads us to. And he just, man, he really throws us for a curve and John makes sure we know it when he read when we read the text go back and read John 13 and check it out it'll go like you know Jesus is about to do something incredible and then you jump and you skip over a verse and it's like Jesus washes their feet and the verse we skip over is Judas was listening to the devil like he listened to the devil right and John puts that in there so that you and I know that that Jesus had humble service service for for the last person he would want to have humble service for, like dead last. If you or I were at that dinner party and we were washing people's feet, we would probably go around and be like, oh, Judas, did I miss you? I'm sorry, your feet weren't that dirty, bud. Like, you just keep, you're, you're fine. You know, you, you got it. We, we probably wouldn't wash Judas's feet. Like, Judas, you want me to wash your feet? Are you, like, you're dreaming, bud. 
you you just sold me out for 30 pieces of silver. I'm going to die because of your actions. You really think I'm going to wash your feet right now? John wants us to know that Judas was there and that Jesus washed his feet. Jesus' service is humble, it's loving, and it's definitely not rigged. It's not exclusive. It's not elite. It's not about who he likes or doesn't like. It's about who he can love and who he can care for. And the fact that Judas was there is an incredibly powerful message. I love the way Charles Spurgeon talks about this. He, he mentions that we might not think of some of the people that God wants us to serve. The ill, the angry, the rebel, the proud. We might discount them. But let's not forget that's exactly who we were when we started this journey. The people who were far from God, the people who, who didn't really have it all together, the people who were angry, the people who were prideful, the people who still struggle with manipulation. It's about serving the way that Jesus served us. Spurgeon goes on to say this. He says, Recollect that Christ's way of rising is to go down. He descended that he might ascend, and so must we. Man, I love the, the service and the humility of Jesus Christ. I love that we're recipients of it. I love that we get to demonstrate it. It's going to challenge us. It's going to push us to, to serve people that we don't want to serve, to help people that we'd rather not help. That's wildly safe service. That's what God calls us to, and that's how God does some absolutely incredible stuff. Look, it's going to be costly to your comfort zone, and it's going to be costly to your schedule to be able to follow Jesus Christ and serve this way. I think it's absolutely worth it. And just, just one question to kind of wrap it up. Um, at the end of your life, like when you, when you step foot into heaven the first moment and, and you're loved by Christ and you're embraced by him, at that moment, are you going to be more thankful, more appreciative, more glad for the times that you were served or the times that you served others? I think we've got to live for that reality. I think we've got to take our answer to that question and live that way right now. I think that's what wildly safe service is. I'm going to serve now like I wish I would have then. I think that's powerful to think about, and I think that's exactly what Christ is trying to motivate his followers to do. And I know that because John, John 13 and verse 17, the wrap-up to this all, Jesus says, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. When I was a kid, we used to watch uh, G.I. Joe. And G.I. Joe always had this little like warning thing at the end where he'd say, now you know that knowing's half the battle. It's the same thing for John 13 and for service, for wildly safe service that, that's filthy and costs you at, at ultimate, ultimately a number of different levels. Now you know, and knowing's half the half the battle the other half of the battle is letting god lead you and guide you and empower you to serve in incredible ways let's pray god we love you and we thank you for the fact that we're safe in your love we talk about the way that you love us and that we can find a salvation from our sins and a forgiveness and life forever with you and that salvation brings a safety to us it brings a certainty Father, I pray that that certainty would bring just a, a boldness that's really quite wild. God, that we would really take some time to sit down and just pray and say, who would you have me to serve and how would you have me to serve them? And God, I pray that we'd be people of faith, even if that, that idea threatens us, even if the should of life and what should happen for me gets in the way, I pray we'd be people that wildly 
safely serve you. In your son's name we pray, amen.